Welcome back to the Evidence for Faith podcast with Michael Lane. If you're enjoying our content and would like to help us keep making more episodes on this podcast, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. And while you're on the website, make sure to check out some of the other things we got going on, like our specialty programs. We've got one in marine biology, which is an entire marine biology course down in the Florida Keys. And it's great for students ages 14 and up. We also have our biblical archaeology tour in Israel with archaeologists Dr. Stephen Notley. That's coming up very, very soon. So make sure to check those out. And we also have our bookings calendar open. So if you're looking for a speaker to come speak at your event, church, group, school, whatever it may be, make sure to get in your request in right away. And finally, if you have enjoyed a particular series on this podcast, or you want to go back and look at a particular episode, our courses page has every single series we've ever done on the podcast nicely organized in its own course page. And sometimes there's a few extra little downloads and things you can use if you want to go back and study a particular series or share it with a friend or a family. All these links are going to be down in the description if you want to refer back to them after you're done listening to today's episode. And with that, thanks for being here and I'll let Michael take it away. Hi, and welcome to Evidence for Faith. So glad you're joining me again today. I'm your host, Michael Lane, as we're going through this series that we're doing. And uh, this series is having to do with basics of Christian living, but what it starts off with is what is the Bible? And this gets into just straight apologetics. And to live the Christian life, to live uh, a, a biblical worldview, a godly life, you've got to have a good understanding of what the Bible is. And so that's why we're starting off this series with these lessons on what is the Bible and um, what's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And today, what we're doing in this series, uh, or I'm sorry, in this lesson, I should say, is the New Testament or the New Covenant. What is this? So this is, if we just finished this Old Testament one and now we're doing the New Testament one to combine the two parts, basically making up our Bible. But today, as I said, we want to get into what is the New Testament. Now, most Christians are very familiar or should be at least familiar with the New Testament or the New Covenant. I prefer to use that term. And if you've listened to some of the previous lessons, you'll understand why. But um, what is it about? What's it dealing with? Because there's a lot of misconceptions having to do with it today uh, among critics and also among even Christians. So let's get into this lesson today to determine what is the New Testament or the New Covenant. Well, let me first of all tell you a little story here. A person was handed a small little personal pocket New Testament. I don't know if you've ever seen those. I used to teach in a school back in the 80s in Illinois where the Gideons would come into our school. This was allowed back then. And they would, uh, after school, they stood in the hallways and they handed out little pocket Bibles, or actually New Testaments, um, with the book of Psalms in the back. But they handed those out to every single student who wanted one. Um, They didn't have to take it, but if they wanted one, they could take them. Um, these are the same people who leave Gideon Bibles inside motel rooms and in other places. And so handing these things out, um, a lot of people have one. I remember my first Bible, actually, that I can recall as a little boy ever getting was a little yellow New Testament. And it was just the New Testament that my dad bought me. And um, that's what I carried. And and a lot of people have seen these little New Testaments. Um, but you know something? I... As I was sitting a few years ago and contemplating what the New Testament is and putting lessons together on this, I started thinking, I don't remember ever coming across anyone who handed out just a copy of the Old Testament. Um, Just didn't see things like that very often. Um, I have asked a number of people over the last couple of years, have you ever received a copy of the New Testament, a little booklet? And a lot of people have said yes, or at least they would say, well, I've seen those and stuff. And then I would ask, have you ever been given a personal pocket Old Testament? And only one person I've ever come across when I was asking these questions said, yeah, I, I did get one. And I, I was a little startled because I said, you're the first person. He says, I grew up Jewish. And I was like, oh, yeah, you got a little Tanakh 
um, you know, Jewish Bible? And he goes, yeah, it's just the Old Testament. And I go, very good. That's excellent. Well, I know my dad carried one of these little pocket, uh, personal, um, small pocket New Testaments in his toolbox when he worked in a factory. I know he had one in there. And I've, I've seen soldiers carry them in shirt pockets. Matter of fact, my dad used to talk about that, that people would sometimes, as he did, carried a little New Testament in his pockets and stuff um, in the service. And I know some policemen have like a little version of it. There's a policeman's Bible or a policeman's New Testament uh, designed just for policemen, just for firemen, and then different branches of the service. Um, but most of these are almost always New Testament. And if you're a Christian, and you know what the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is, and um, and if you know what the New Testament or the New Covenant is, it actually makes a little sense to us, because like we just learned in the last lesson, the Old Covenant was um, a little different than the New Testament. So in this lesson, what we're going to focus on is the New Covenant and see what it is and why it's important. Now, to begin, I just need to review briefly what we had in the last lesson on the Old Covenant. It's sometimes called the Jewish Bible, or the Tanakh, because it is an agreement or a covenant, because that's what the word testament means, an agreement, um, a covenant, a contract between God and the Hebrew people alone. Who, that's who it was meant for uh, when it was given. It was meant for the Hebrew people. It was not meant for the other nations surrounding Israel. God selected the Hebrew people and placed them in a special geographical location um, if you look at a map, if you've ever seen like the where Israel is, the Holy Land there, it sits in a very interesting place because to the south, um, and the roads going from the, to the south, um, going that direction, they take you to the kingdom of Egypt. If you go to the east, you go to the land of the Chaldeans. If you go to the north, you would go to the kingdoms and uh, the region of the Hittites. To go to the west, you're going to go swimming because that's just the Mediterranean Sea. And the Hebrew people, God could have placed them anywhere. If you ever thought about this, I don't know. But God could have placed his people anywhere. But he promised Abraham the land of Canaan, the crossroads of all the major nations. And he promised this land to Abraham, the first of the Hebrews. And he intentionally set his people, his bride, there in the middle of the crossroads. Why? Because then they would have an effect on all the nations of the earth. That was the plan. That was the design. The Hebrew people were to be a guiding light of holiness to all the kingdoms uh, all around them. And they were to be a very peculiar people compared to the other kingdoms because they were set apart by God to be a holy nation. So, um, we see in Leviticus chapter 19, the first two verses, reading out of the English Standard Version, it reads, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So God picks a nation, and then he marries them, which that's what the Mount Sinai thing is, is symbolic of. But uh, God gave them rules. He gave them his law. Uh, his Torah. He gave them certain holidays, certain sacrifices. He gave them prophecies. He didn't give this to other nations. And to this day, Jews, descendants of the Hebrews from the tribe of Judah, are still a peculiar people. I remember a number of years ago, uh, I took my family on vacation, and we went to an area um, down in Florida. We stopped at a McDonald's, um, my kids were, some of my kids were still pretty small. We stopped at a McDonald's, and uh, we went into this McDonald's, and as we went in, because I don't like doing drive throughs and stuff, I like to go inside, sit down and eat, and as we went inside there, my, my girls were, my three daughters were looking up at the menu, as were I and my wife, and I think it was my oldest one said, Dad, look at the funny language that's up there. And I said, "Hun, that's that's Hebrew. And she goes, why is it Hebrew? I said, obviously, we're in a Hebrew neighborhood. And, um, like, you're not going to see a cheeseburger on this menu. <laughs> so they are a peculiar people. We were definitely in, um, as you went into the dining area there and sat down, you could see we were in a Jewish 
neighborhood. And so part of the menu, there was part of it was in English, but they also had half the menu was in Hebrew. And it was really interesting. And they have peculiar ways of eating. Um, and if you come with me to Israel, or if you've ever been to Israel, you'll notice this right away. Um, when uh, one of the last trips I took to Israel, some of the people noticed the hotel we were staying at because we have uh, our breakfast and our dinners are served at the hotels. It's part of our cost on the trip. And as we, um, after a couple of days staying in this, um, this hotel, a couple of the people, a couple of my, um, my party came up to me at the supper meal, on one of the supper meals, and they said, Michael, have you noticed this? We, we just now noticed that the, the flatware, the, the plates and stuff that we use for breakfast are different than the ones that we have in the evening. And I said, yeah. And they said, do you have any idea why? And I said, yeah, it has to do with the Jewish law. They're still following the old covenant, and they have certain restrictions on the way that they cook food and how they can serve food. And that's why in many times in Jewish restaurants, you will see a different style of plating and pots and stuff that are used in breakfast as opposed to the dinner hour. So they are a peculiar people, even to this day. Even the McDonald's we were in, I think it was in Tampa, even the, the McDonald's was very different. They still are a peculiar people. They were set apart by God in the Old Covenant to be his bride and to be a shining light. They were supposed to be a holy people. Well, in the Old Covenant, God continued to speak to his people through prophets. And in doing so, he gave the Hebrew people prophecies and clues as to a new covenant that would be coming. Yes, this is in the Old Testament, if you've never noticed this. And this new covenant, according to the prophecies in the old covenant, would be established by the Messiah, God's own son. This Messiah would also, by prophecies, fulfill the old covenant law for all people and redeem people to be sons of God again in full fellowship to be able to abide with God forever. And that's the gospel. That's what the whole point of this is. But this was all foretold in the Old Covenant, that there's going to be a new covenant coming. Now, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, living around 586 B.C. or so, wrote that God um, told him that a new covenant would be made that would be very different from the one given to the Hebrew people by Moses. This new covenant would last forever. Not only that, it would have God actually indwelling us, living in us, giving us the ability to know right from wrong. And it would forgive, this new covenant would forgive all of our sins, and it would not require temple sacrifices anymore. And it also went on to say, uh, through the prophecies in Jeremiah, that God would remember our sins no more. I want to read you this passage because this is a very important passage. And because it's in the Old Covenant, I'm going to read this out of a different translation. I'm going to use the complete Jewish Bible. So I'm going to read, it's Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And it's talking about this new covenant that's coming. But this is out of the complete Jewish Bible. It reads, Here the days are coming, says Adonai, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers on that day. I took them by their hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt because they, for their part, violated my covenant, even though I, for my part, was a husband to them, says Adonai. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Adonai. I will put my Torah within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will any of them teach his fellow community member or his brother, No, Adonai, for all will know me, from the least of them to the greatest, because I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now, that is the prophecy directly, right right there all about this new covenant that's coming um, from God. And um, at the Last Supper, those Christians, um, born-again Christians, you're going to be able to catch this if you haven't already, the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples about the new covenant coming 
and that he was instituting it and sealing it with his blood. If we take a look at Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, out of the English Standard Version, uh, we, we can read, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Isn't this interesting? Jesus instituted the new covenant that was prophesied in the old covenant, particularly by Jeremiah. Jesus institutes it at the Last Supper. Even Paul wrote about it. Uh, Paul wrote about this event taking place, how the Messiah, when he comes, is going to uh, redeem the people, as Jeremiah says, he's going to redeem the people um, who were under the law, and he's going to fix it. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read this out of the Net Bible. That's the New English translation. And uh, Paul writes under the influence of the Holy Spirit following. But when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. So even Paul talks about this new system, this new covenant um, that is set up. Now, Jesus, the Messiah, did this. And all four gospel writers wrote about this new covenant. The new covenant was established. It would be sealed in blood. Now, did you catch that? It's sealed in blood. The Messiah's blood. Jesus is talking about that He there at the Last Supper. He's about to seal this covenant forever with his blood. Now, if you go back into the culture of the times, in ancient times, particularly in the Jewish culture and stuff, covenants could be sealed in different ways. In some cases, you just exchange the shoe or something, um, making a contract or a deal. But covenants sealed by blood were the most binding. And God uses the blood of Jesus to seal this new covenant, this new agreement, this new testament, if you will. And no power of Satan can ever break this. John writes about this in his gospel in several chapters. Um, many times, Christians, we, we, we read this, but we don't catch Jesus constantly talking about the new covenant, and that's what this is all about. And that's why we call the New Testament the new covenant. Or the, that's the way we, I like to refer to it anyway. A lot of people just call it the New Testament. So what is this New Testament? What is this new covenant? How does it differ from the old covenant? Well, the old covenant was between, as we learned in the last lesson, Israel and God. The new covenant is between God and, as Jeremiah points out, all mankind. All mankind, not just for the Hebrew nation. The old covenant was based upon the temple. It was based upon the law, the Torah. The, it was based upon the sacrifices and the holiday observances. The new covenant is totally different. Well, I shouldn't say totally, but it is very different. There is no temple standing in Jerusalem today. Uh, and we don't need one because Christians are the temple now of God. God's Holy Spirit indwells in us. With the Old Covenant, God's Spirit would appear on the, at the whole, in the Holy of Holies above the Ark of the Covenant. But now God's Holy Spirit uh, dwells inside of us. Thus, we don't need a temple. That's why Jesus predicted um, at the Olivet Discord, Matthew 24, that the temple was going to be destroyed, which really shocked the Jews and his disciples because they thought that was eternal. But it, Jesus said, no, that's part of the Old Covenant. The New Covenant, no, it won't be like that. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, again, out of the Net Bible, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? Now, Paul is writing this under the influence of the Holy Spirit, about the Holy Spirit that indwells all true born-again Christians. With the Old Covenant, the people had to keep a, a plethora of rules and laws. In some cases, a lot of people look at it and it bordered like on legalism. Matter of fact, that's what the Pharisees sort of made it into. But it was intended to make a person holy because God is holy. To be in a marriage, which is what this was set up for, God married the Hebrew nation at Mount Sinai, to be like this, they had to be holy also. So God gives them these laws to follow. Any, and any sin committed had to be covered by a sin offering and a burnt offering, which included the shedding of blood. Now, the new covenant, let's get into it. 
it has a more simplistic list of commands. Uh, some carry over from the Old Covenant. You will see Jesus and repeating some of them into the New. But instead of like what we see in the Old Covenant, where there's 613 rules and laws to obey, now you understand why sometimes uh, the Pharisees took it to the level of legalism, 613 rules in the Old Covenant. The New Covenant just has a small number of basic commands. Um, let me show you a couple of them. Some of the key ones, as a matter of fact, the key ones right here. Mark chapter 12, verses uh, 28 going through 31. This is out of the English Standard. Jesus was asked a question, and he answered it. And the question was, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, what is interesting, this is so important too. These two laws that Jesus just mentioned are found in the Old Covenant, in Deuteronomy 6.6 and also in Leviticus 19.18. What Jesus does is he's reiterating these into the New Covenant. Jesus did that a number of times where he took certain laws, like the Ten Commandments and stuff, from the Old Covenant and placed it into the New Covenant. When Jesus was having the Last Supper with his disciples, he commanded them, this is John chapter 13, 34 and 35, again out of the English Standard, a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Notice that that started off with, he, he used this term, new commandment. Thus, this is one of the new commands found in this covenant. This is the same as saying, um, when he says the new commandment, he's talking about the new covenant that he's setting up. And what is this new commandment that he just listed? To love one another. And, and in what way are we to love one another? Just as I have loved you. That's what Jesus said. That's how we are supposed to be identified as Christians. Christians are to treat other Christians and, and to the world in this manner, that we love them. Uh, as Jesus loved us, we're not worthy of it. We don't deserve it. Um, he loved us before we ever uh, loved him. That's how we are supposed to love people around. Our new covenant now, obviously, is not based on the temple sacrifices, uh, holidays, or anything like that. It's based on us loving each other as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Now, during this Last Supper meal, Jesus also stated something else. In John 14, 15, we read, If you love me, this is Jesus speaking, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, obviously, Jesus is giving commandments in this new covenant. There's not 613 like we see in the old one, but there are some, and there are these commandments. Now, exactly what are these commandments? What are the commandments that you find in the new covenant? Well, Let's take a look and see what the New Covenant records. So we're going to look at a lot of different Bible verses here and see if you can start picking these things out. So the um, New Commandments of the New Covenant, or the New Testament, if you want to look at it that way. If you're, if you're really into the rut of calling the, the New Covenant the New Testament, then by all means do so. Um, we've already covered why I like to use New Covenant. But anyway, um, here we go. Here's some of the commands. In 1 John, yes, 1 John chapter 4, verse 21, we read, and these will all be out of the, by the way, these will all be out of the English Standard Version, unless I say otherwise from this point. 1 John 4, 21, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, there's one. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Second Peter 1, 5, 6, and 7 reads, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness, 
excuse me, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Now, there's a lot of things in there, different commands that we see, but it says to supplement our faith. That means to strengthen our faith and stuff by what? By virtue, truth. You understand there is an absolute truth. And so that's what God is saying, that truth, knowledge of the truth. Also, we're supposed to be self-controlled. Not much, you know, that's something we don't see too much in our world today, self-control, steadfastness, godliness. See, these are commands in the new covenant that we're supposed to be doing. People will focus a lot on the love part, but they miss the other parts here. Let's move on. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 reads, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we are to walk in love. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 8 reads, If you are really if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. And there's another one, how we're supposed to treat people. And John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. Uh, get this one. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, the thing is, um, we're supposed to abide. That's actually a relational word. Um, it's the Greek word menos, and it means to be in a relationship, in a, um, I can't think of a better way to, to say it. It's a close personal relationship is what we're talking about. So we're just not supposed to love. We're also supposed to be in a personal relationship with God. To be in a personal relationship with God, that means we, we are supposed to be holy. We're supposed to follow God's lead on things like this. So one can easily see that the new covenant, this new covenant is based on loving others and, and as Christ loved us. And you hear this all the time. People are constantly saying, well, Jesus says to love everybody. We're supposed to love everybody. I mean, people get that one commandment. They sort of miss a lot of the other ones in the new covenant, but they get that one. Um, but is that it? Is that, is that the only thing that's in the new covenant? That we're just supposed to love each other? If you've Listen carefully to those verses or we're reading along and studying these. You're going to see there were other commandments in there. Um, but people just seem to focus on the love aspect. For instance, a student, when I was teaching school back in Illinois, um, in, um, in a classroom one day, um, a student asked me a question and asked me why Christians are often such hypocrites. Well, that's a great question. It really is. I didn't find it offensive or anything. As a matter of fact, I, I replied by asking her, because everybody in the school basically knew I was a Christian, so I said, all right, you're saying Christians are often hypocrites. So I said, do you view me as a, as a hypocrite? And she thought for a moment, and she knew me well enough, we were good friends, that she could be totally honest with me. And she says, yeah, in some ways I think you are. And um, then she went on, she didn't finish there. She went on and she says that Jesus only preached. Now catch this. Jesus only preached for us to love one another. And if we Christians would do that, the world would be better off, she said. I asked her if this was the only command that Jesus gave us to follow. She said that the New Testament is full of Jesus saying to love everyone. She said that love is the key to eternal life. She went on to, tell, to say in front of everybody in the room that God will not condemn anyone because God is love, and a loving God would never send anyone to hell. And i got to tell you, I've heard this so many times. matter of fact, I know two pastors that just in the last five, six years have walked away, left their churches, or got kicked out of their churches because they followed in on this worldly thinking that God is love and he won't send anybody to hell. In other words, what they're doing, they're actually calling Jesus a liar, because Jesus specifically, <laughs> numerous times, talks about people being sent to hell. So, um, but this is a very popular view today. Um, this student's view is not rare. 
today? No, it's not. And I've heard it said so often that love is the only command Jesus gave and that everyone ends up in heaven because God is love. I cannot name how many times, uh, count how many times I've had people uh, tell me this or, or name different uh, critics or people I've come across and, uh, who, who say this. So let me ask you this. Is this what the new covenant is really based on? Was Jesus' message simply to love one another? I mean, in the verses we looked at, it definitely said that, but was that the only thing there? As we have seen, love is certainly a large part of the New Testament, of this new covenant. No question about it. I don't argue that, um, you know, against that. That is true. That's right there. In fact, the new covenant is loaded with ample more verses stating that love is the key to the new covenant. Uh, it, it is. But there is more. So what other commands did God give us to follow in this new covenant? After his resurrection, Jesus gave a new command. Let's take a look at some of these now. Here's one. Right after the resurrection, this is what Jesus says. Uh, it's recorded in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, and many people are going to be familiar with this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Stop here. Notice it says all nations. That's going back to the prophecy of Jeremiah. All nations, not just the Jews. Continuing, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I love this. Jeremiah wrote about 650 years prior um, that even Gentiles were going to be included in this new covenant which the Jews really had a problem with. Um, they, they really struggled with this. Uh, the Jews um, would be the only ones that God favored. But no, Jeremiah and, and, and other places in the Old Covenant, God speaks to all nations, and he allowed nations to follow him. Uh, anybody who turns to God will not be turned away. I mean, this goes back in, I mean, people will say, no, Michael, no, no, no. God only favors his own people. No, that's not true. Go back to the book of Joshua. Remember the story of Jericho. Um, Rahab, uh, Rahab let the, uh, um, the spies stay at her place, and she hid them, and she protected them, and God saved her. Her and her family survived. Ruth, she wasn't Jewish. She wasn't Hebrew. She was a Moabite, yet she turns to God. Both these two, Rahab and Ruth, both are in the ancestry of the Messiah. What greater honor can you get on that, eh? And there's many other accounts. How about Uriah the Hittite? Uh, that was um, David has Uriah the Hittite's wife Bathsheba killed so he can steal her away. But he was a godly person, but he was a Hittite. Also, David's army, if you read the description of the followers of David's army, many of them uh, listed are not Hebrew. Whole clans, whole groups of them are not Hebrew. So, I mean, we could go on and on and on with this, but there are so many examples of God taking people who were not Jewish. If people turn to God, God will save. He, he will give mercy, and he does. But you've got to turn to him, and loving is just not the key to it. So, at Pentecost, the church would be born. And if you remember at Pentecost, there are people from all over the place, Jews from all the different countries and stuff like this. And as soon as it's over, Gentiles would start to come to know Jesus also as their Lord and Savior. Cornelius was the first one. Um, and in Acts chapter 10, we read about Cornelius being, um, being saved in his family. We read Acts 10, 44 and 45. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Wow. This was a tough thing for the church to accept. It was. These, the early church, the early Christians struggled with this because they had been so um, just driven into their brains that only the Jews were God's chosen people and, and that God would show favor to. But no, God did this frequently to anybody who turns to him. That's what's so beautiful about God. Uh, another aspect, he's just so awesome. So what other commands, though, are found in this covenant? Well, is it simply just to love others to be saved and to spread the love around like the Great Commission? Well, some say that's it. But is that accurate? Is there more to the New Testament, to the New Covenant, than just to love others? 
Let's take a look at some other commands that we find. We're going to go through a bunch of these. So if you're doing, if you're following along with the Bible, get ready to do a sword drill here because we're going to be opening up a lot of passages and looking at them from the New Covenant. So we'll start off with uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're going to stop here for a second because I've got to go into this. Bear another's burden. You notice that this is a command, not an option. Not when, oh, I don't feel like it today, so I'm not going to do it. No, we are to bear another's burdens. As a teacher in the public school system, this was a verse that often was on my mind. And I got to know students, um, and I like to know my students. I, I got to be friends, some of the closest friends I've ever had in my entire life are students, um, and I still keep in contact with many of them from my, even my first year of teaching, I still keep in contact. Um, students I taught back in the 70s, I still uh, keep in contact. Matter of fact, just yesterday I was uh, talking with one um, via the internet uh, and social media. I, I do this, but the thing is, I, I gotta tell you a story one time. I was, um, the class I was about to teach was about to begin. I can't remember what hour. I want to say it was like third hour or something like that in the morning. Maybe it was second. But anyway, a student came in. As soon as my class had left and a new class coming in, the first student who came in was a girl. Um, and her, I won't say her name. Um, but she came into the room. And as she came in, and I tried to greet people as much as I could by the door um, or just be around in that area. When she came in, uh, I could tell she was crying. She was in tears. And she went over all the way across the room, the opposite side from where the door was, and just sat down bawling. Well, I left my spot where I was at, and I came over, and I sat down, and I said, what's the matter? And she just, she was just sobbing. I mean, she was sobbing, not a little, you know, just a little whimpering. She was just literally crushed. My class is coming in. They're talking, and as they came in, they saw this, me sitting here with her um, in a chair next to her and trying to get her to talk. She wouldn't, she just kept crying and this just kept going in and um going on the students come into the room and they they're just so devastated as they came in with just absolute silence like wow somebody's really hurting and it was it was interesting to see the students reaction and they came in and the classroom started the um there was the tone our class started and i could not get her to talk um she's just sobbing so badly and so i went over to one of my um very trustworthy students and I, I said to her, Val, I want you to take um, do this. Here's my book, and here's my notes and stuff. Would you go ahead and hand this out and get people working on this? Um, I have to help her because she's got a problem, and I want to see what's going on. She says, certainly, Mike, I'll take care of that. So I took this gal. We stood out in the hallway, and then she just buried her head on my white lab coat, and, I mean, she was just bawling. I got mascara on it and everything, but that wasn't the first time for people crying on my shoulder. But eventually I took her down to another room, and we sat in the room and tried to get her to calm down, gave her a um, cup of tea. We're in my lab now. I was in a lecture room before. We're in the lab, and I, I tried to give her a cup of tea, you know, a hot beverage to calm her down a little bit. And as she took that and um, tried, she calmed down a little bit, and I said, so um, I take it this is having to do with a boy. <laughs> And she nodded, yeah, and everything. And yes, my boyfriend broke up with me this morning, and I'm just devastated. I'm crushed. I thought we were going to get married and all this and everything. And so I played the, like, the, you know, the compassionate dad there for a little bit and tried to get her to laugh and smile and things and um, just gave her words of some wisdom. And um, she started smiling, she stopped crying and everything, and I said, let's go back to the room, which we did. We went back, and they were all studious. My students were very well behaved, and I, I could trust them. Um, and so we got in there and everything. That night I got a phone call um, from that, that girl's mother, and I thought, okay. Uh, she introduced herself to me on the phone, and I was like, yeah, yeah, how, uh, thanks for calling. How can I help you? And she says, I just want to say thank you. I heard today my daughter's boyfriend broke up. I know she was devastated. She told me how bad it was. Um, just before school, the guy broke up with her, and I had her like third hour. And she says, you're the, you were the only adult to take her aside. And she says, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you would actually take time out of your schedule to help up my daughter who was in emotional pain and anguish to help her and I just want to say thank you and I'm sitting here thinking oh, it's Galatians 
6-2, you know, bear one another's burdens. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, here's another, another command. Look at this one in 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. We read, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Do you see what the what commandments here? Yes, we're supposed to love and stuff, but we're supposed to keep his commandments. That's another one. But one of the commandments that's given here, and it's mentioned numerous times, to abide with God. To do this, we have to live a life that is holy also to be with God. In other words, you can't really be abiding with God and having a sin going on in your life that you know is a sin and you just keep doing it and you're unrepentant, you could care less, well, I'm, this is the way God made me and I'm just going to do this no matter what and God has to love me because he's a God of love. That is not what this is talking about. That's an unrepentant heart. That is not right. That is not um, what Jesus is teaching here. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You catch that one? Yeah. God is a God of love, but we are commanded, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, both covenants have this, that we are to be holy. Again, going back, if you are unrepentant, if you have some type of sin that you're living in or doing, and you, you know it's wrong, the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you're born, if you say you're a Christian, is nudging you. Or if you, you claim to be a Christian and you say, I love God and stuff like this, but this is how God made me, and I'm just going to go ahead and do this because that's the way it is, and it's wrong, it goes against God's character, against his law, well, you're not living a holy life. You are totally disobeying God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We're supposed to deny ourselves. That's not give in to our sinful flesh. That's not to give in to our sinful nature. We are to deny this and follow Jesus, who is holy, and try to live a holy life. Loving others, abiding with God, bearing other people's burdens, etc., etc., but that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, there's more commandments than these. I don't have time to go through all of them, but what Jesus' main what was Jesus' main message? That's what I really want to get to here. What is the main message that Jesus told us to do, of the main commandment? Well, yes, you're sitting here saying, oh, he told us to love. That's what he told the, um, his followers, his disciples. But what was Jesus' command to the people? To find this, we have to look to see what was written in the Old Covenant, what Jesus actually taught. And you know what it is? Jesus' main message to the people was not to go around loving everybody. That was not his main message. His main message was repentance. There are a couple of words in the ancient Greek found in the New Testament for the word repent. But the most extensively used word, metanoi, um, meta, it's, it's a compound word, meta, um, is means to change, where, it's where we get the word metamorphosis, changing shape or being transformed like a caterpillar into a butterfly. The suffix, um, nomai, nomai uh, that one's different. That means to think differently or to be reformed in your decision-making and the way that you live, to, to think and do things differently. That's what repentance is. And that's what Jesus is teaching. We are to make a change. Actually, God helps us with this. His Spirit will help make the change if we truly turn to him. And we are to change what we're doing, the direction we're going, and change the way we think and the way we make decisions. Now, if you think, I don't remember Jesus ever saying this. Well, let's just look at a few here. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You notice what Jesus is preaching? Does it say Jesus said, everybody love everybody? No. Jesus says, from the this is the beginning of his ministry, he began to preach. Thus, he started with this and he continued doing this. 
In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. This is talking about the new covenant. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You notice the word repent. Strong word right there. Later on, when Jesus sends out his disciples to preach, uh, which is recorded in Mark's chapter 6, and he tells them, you're going to go out and you're going to preach all through the countryside. He sends them out, and they, they ask, well, what are you supposed to preach? What's the, what's the topic of the sermon, Jesus? Mark records it. In Mark chapter 6, verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent. Luke, likewise, has the same thing. In Luke chapter 13, verses 3, 4, and 5, we read... <clears throat> Excuse me. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Notice Jesus said it twice in that passage, the exact same thing. To do this twice in Greek gives it even more emphasis. This is so important. Jesus is telling people to repent. He's calling us to repent. When we become Christians, then we love people. But the thing is, he calls everybody to repent. And if we don't, look what the, what the option is. If you don't repent, you perish. I mean, if you've got a problem with that, you've got a problem with Jesus, because this is his message coming right out of his mouth. Jesus is not the only one who commanded that. Other writers of the New Covenant, of the New Testament, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, also wrote this command. Take a look in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 reads, Repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Acts chapter 8, verse 22, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Acts chapter 17, verse 30, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Even until you get to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, verse 3, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself and then follow. That is repentance. So the student who told me from my classroom, who said that Jesus only commanded us to love others and that love was the way to eternal life, she's totally wrong. Totally wrong. And so many people are wrong on this. It's a shame. We just focus on love, and we don't follow what God is saying to repent. And by the way, I want to point out something to you. Repentance is not the same thing as asking for forgiveness. To ask for forgiveness, you go to a person, you say, I'm sorry for what I did. That's forgiveness. If they give you forgiveness, great. But that's what forgiveness is. I'm sorry for what I did. Repentance is not that. Repentance is different. Repentance is, if you've done something wrong, you go to the person and you say, I'm sorry I did this. Would you forgive me? And if you do, I will change. I will not. I will do everything in my power not to do that again. That's repentance. You're changing the direction of your thinking, changing the direction of your actions. That's repentance. Though the new covenant does command us to love one another, and it does, it also commands us to do a couple of other things like repentance. Mainly, we are to repent of our sinful ways, and we are to live, don't forget it, to be holy. In John 15, we're commanded also to abide with Jesus. The word abide is to walk daily in close fellowship. And all through the new covenant, we are commanded to believe in him, John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, how many times did you see the word believe? Believe is a hard word to translate from Greek um, into English, the word that's being used here, actually. It's the word pishtuo. Pishtuo is a very difficult word. There's not really a single word in English that pishtuo means because it has like a compounded meaning. It means to put your trust in 
to trust in, um, but it also means something more. It means to commit to. That's what that's saying. Not head knowledge. Not having head knowledge, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That means I'm saved. No, that's not pishtuo. That's, that's a different word. That's a different thinking. That's just knowing facts. Knowing facts doesn't get you into heaven. It's putting your trust and committing to. That's what it is. Repentance, as Jesus said, that's what we must do. So it's not just knowledge of facts. Folks, this is what the new covenant is. It begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are four portraits of who the Messiah is, dealing with a prophecy that we'll cover in another lesson that, uh, from the book of Ezekiel. Um, it's going to show that the Messiah will be a king. He will be a servant Messiah. He will be a human. He will be human. has to be to represent the human race, but he will be totally God. Matthew shows us the kingship. Mark shows us the servanthood. Uh, Luke, a physician, writes about the human aspect. And John writes about God, uh, the Messiah, being totally God. Then we read, as you continue reading through uh, the New Covenant, we read how to love. We read how to repent. We read about how to abide, how to be holy, how to walk with, and how to believe. Pishtuo. It also concludes with us living forever with God in paradise. Back as what was created in Genesis 1 and 2 in the Old Covenant, we get back to that. And that's what we were supposed to have from the beginning, but we messed it up. God fixes it all through Jesus Christ. And it concludes with us living forever with him in paradise again, as it was supposed to be. So, folks, that is the New Covenant in a nutshell. There you go. I hope you've enjoyed this lesson, and I hope you've learned something. And may the Holy Spirit teach you from this. Uh, as we looked, we looked at a lot of Scripture here. And um, go back, look at these things, because they're so important. Um, and I encourage you to study your, your Bible. Study the New Covenant very carefully, because you will see some absolutely amazing things about how we are to live. It's just not about loving people. Repentance was Jesus' message that he gave to the people. He gave the command to love to his disciples, but he told us all to repent, to walk with God, to abide with God, to be holy, because he is holy. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time we have here with this message. This has been just an amazing time we've had here with with this going through so many different verses, yet we see the it, it just keeps going over and over and over. Um, there's no doubt because you say these uh, what these commands are over and over and over, yet how many times we read these and we don't even see it. So open our eyes, Holy Spirit, and teach us to draw closer. And Lord, if someone does not know you as Lord and Savior, if they've never put uh, a pishtuo faith into action with you and just thinking that because they know historical facts that they're a Christian, Lord, help them to see that's not what we are saved by. It's putting our trust and commitment to you. That's what saves us for what you did on the cross for us and how you rose again. That's what we claim. And Lord, I pray that you just uh, help anybody who's struggling with any of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me on this lesson, and I hope you turn into the new one. Uh, next lesson will be coming up, but I hope you've really got something cool out of here. We'd love to hear from you at evidenceforfaith.org. So until we meet again, take care, and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.